Well, let me speak to you uh, as college students training for ministry. Now, one of the best things about ministry life is the amazing freedoms that we have. Uh, we can pretty much uh, uh, go where we want. Well, once Gladys lifts the restrictions, we can go where we want. We can do where, what we want. Uh, who's going to check up on us? Who knows what we do? It's, it's a wonderful thing, the freedom that we have. Now, the heart, one of the hardest things about ministry is the freedom that we have. We go where we want. We do what we want. We work the hours that we want. And who knows who checks up on us? So there's 168 hours in a week uh, other than two church meetings and maybe a staff meeting. Who knows where we are? Uh, if ever there is a job and a role that needs self-control, it's ministry work. Now, let me talk to you about self-control this morning. Uh, here's an interesting book. We have met the enemy, self-control in an age of excess by Daniel Axt. Uh, he's a New York journalist. Uh, he's written this book. Obviously, it's about self-control. He talks about self-control fatigue. Listen to a quick summary of what he says. Humans evolved with the capacity to look ahead. We didn't evolve to cope with a world where we could obtain luscious food at a moment's notice, encounter thousands of strangers in a single afternoon, or spend next year's earnings with a few swipes of plastic. Modern life simply requires an unnatural degree of self-control, and one of its side effects is self-control fatigue. And so for a couple of hundred pages, he walks us through mostly the internet and the difference that it's made. So he talks about gambling, uh, sex, pornography, food, alcohol, credit card, debt, etc. And he talks about how hard the self-control is in the modern world. Now, like so many non-Christian books, he, he analyzes the problem, but he has no real answers. But he does have one very, uh, very key insight. This is what he says. He says, what matters most when it comes to self-control isn't so much willpower, as vision, the ability to see the long run consequences of our short run choices as vividly clear. Self-control is all about seeing beyond the moment. Uh, it's about deferring gratification. Now, I know self-control doesn't seem very exciting or, or etc., but it's actually a wonderfully positive thing. Self-control is the way to freedom. Why? Because who's in control with self-control? Forgive me for being Captain Obvious, but it's us, isn't it? Not hormones, not other people's expectations, not substances. It's it's us with self-control. And and it's a little bit like self-control's twin sister, delayed gratification. It's the idea of saying no to something now in the short run because we want something bigger in the long run. All right. Uh, OK, so let me sum it up in a sentence or two. Self-control is the way you have freedom in your life. And delayed gratification is actually the way of looking after future you. Okay? It's say no to something in the short run, so if you have something bigger, that's how to look after future you. Uh, how does that apply to ministry? Well, if I could uh, borrow a cliche from um, Spider-Man, uh, was it in the Spider-Man movie? With great power comes great responsibility. No, no, ministry, with great freedom comes great need for self-control. So let me take you to 1 Corinthians 9 and walk through this very quickly, uh, the passage that Chris just read for us. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul begins by, or in the middle of the chapter, Paul's talking about using his freedoms uh, in, a, in a very flexible way so that others can hear the gospel. See, 9.22, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. 
uh, I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel and I may share in its blessings. And verse 23, what Paul literally says is actually that I may share in the gospel. Uh, I guess the NIV's got it pretty close by saying share in its blessings. But then he has some very strong words to say about self-control. See 9.24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. What's he saying? You've got to be deliberate. Okay, you've got to be focused. You want a prize, you've got to run in a certain way. Now, what's the prize? Well, I think it's about eternity. He's talking about getting to heaven or being on the right side of the resurrection uh, or being told, well done, good and faithful servant. So you've got, to, you've got to be focused in the way you run. And then how do you do that? How do you be deliberate? Well, verse 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So um, the one who competes, uh, agonizomai, interesting that it's agony is the first part of it, agonizomai, the athlete or the participant, uh, and, and possibly the commentaries think that Paul's picking up a thing about the Isthmian Games, not easily said, it's the Isthmus that joins Corinth to the mainland. Um, the, the Eastman Games had been, I guess it was Olympic Games light, but have been going for centuries. So Paul picks up that idea. Now, I don't know why the NIV says goes into strict training, because what he literally says is exercises self-control in all things. That I, Anyway, if you use the NIV to preach from, there's always something to say. Uh, self-control in all things. And what he's emphasising there is the difference in the crowns that the rewards that um, people compete for. Now, the scholars tell me, and this is for real, that the crown or the wreath that the athletes got in the Ithmian Games was made of pine leaves or a later of celery. Seriously, in Thistleton's commentary, okay, made of celery. So I guess at least you could eat your crown on the way home if you had a win. And what's Paul saying? These guys exercise self-control in everything to win a hat made of salad we exercise self-control to win a crown that will last forever. Now, when you start looking, self-control is all through the New Testament. Um, self-control is, is last in the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Why is it last? Uh, it's not that it's least important. I think it's because it's vital in seeing the other eight grow. How are you going to love people without self-control? Uh, also, self-control is a requirement for being an elder, Titus 1.8. Uh, there's a related word you could translate as self-control. The NIV calls it, uh, translates it as sober-minded, and that's a requirement for older men, younger men, uh, for women or, or deaconesses in 1 Timothy 3.11. So self-control is there, it's everywhere. And what's he saying? Paul gets very personal then. So see verse 26. He says, I'm very focused in self-control. Verse 26, therefore, I do not run like someone uh, running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Why? This isn't a matter of life and death. This is much more important. Uh, he's saying, I'm deliberate. Uh, and then he quotes like an athlete. If you've ever done the athletics training, you know you need a plan for the day, the week, the month. You, you work it out and you're very deliberate. Uh, my good friend Peter Caldor is over 50, 
I tell him significantly over 50 now, but he's still an ultra marathon runner. So Peter trains and runs 100 kilometre races. And he is one focused man. He's not out running around looking at the flowers. He knows how many Ks he's run today, next week, the different training, when he does hills, very focused. Or you can be a boxer. If you're throwing your arms around and the punches aren't connecting, all you're doing is making yourself tired. Then verse 27, it's a strange word there. He says, no, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. The word there, strike a blow to my body, it literally is, uh, okay, it means to give it a black eye. Uh, and in the context, it means to wear something out. It's the same word that the uh, widow wears out the unjust judge in Luke 18. She like just wears him down. And he's saying, I wear my body down. I, I'm disciplined or I make it my slave in the next in the next phrase. See, in Galatians chapter five, Paul talks about the struggle within between the flesh and the spirit. That's general for all believers, but here he's being personal. This is the thing I'd like you to take to heart today, and that's this. If Paul, the great apostle, needs to exercise self-control, how much more do we need to take it to heart? The commentaries will tell you, oh, this can't be a salvation issue for Paul, but that's not how I read it. Uh, in verse 25, He's talking about something that lasts forever. And if you keep reading into chapter 10, he'll go to the warnings from Israel's history uh, about them missing out on the promised land. So he says, I, I do not want to be disqualified. This is a salvation issue for him. He's going to keep being deliberate, being disciplined. Now, why is self-control such a big issue in ministry? I've got five, five reasons really quickly. One, we've got freedom to be not self-controlled, okay? Uh, there's so much discretionary time. There's a lack of accountability. I mean, who knows exactly what you do? Now, I know the Lord Jesus does, but I mean at a human level, who knows exactly what you do? Fourthly, we have power or authority in the lives of the community that we work in. You may not think you do, but you do. So freedom, lack of discretion, uh, too much discretionary time or a lot, lack of accountability, power in people's lives and the opportunity, and then fifthly, and perhaps most importantly, emotional wear and tear. So it, often there can be no line between our ministry work and the rest of our lives, and the emotional tank gets empty. Now, when that happens, we are vulnerable. Right? And I'll tell you when you are vulnerable, when routines change and stress goes up. And man, isn't that the case at the moment? Right, so you're a, if you're a student studying uh, or a lecturer or as I talk to pastors, I think I've rung 40 or 50 pastors in the last few weeks that uh, there's pressure on. And in the pressure, it's very easy for us to start looking for short term comfort. And it can be in stuff that's not good. In fact, it can be in the complete opposite of delayed gratification. Now, we'll all have different struggles with different things. Um, so, for example, some of us, you know, maybe it's comfort eating. Uh, look, in the kindness of God, I, that's not me. I'm the guy who can forget to have lunch. Uh, it's not discipline, it's just me. Uh, I, I want to talk to you about two big temptations for people, theological students or people in ministry. Now, they're both from a man's point of view. Um, uh, forgive me. I know that, that some of this may be relevant to women too. It's just that 
I've spent 30 years talking to men about this, and I happen to be one, so forgive me, but uh, it's kind of from a man's point of view that I think that's enough apology anyway. Uh, let me talk. The first one's alcohol. Now, you know, Psalm 104, alcohol is the good gift of God, uh, etc., but it's seductive. And ABC News Bulletin, since the lockdown, 20% uh, of people are purchasing more alcohol and 70% of people said they're drinking more. Now, that also means 50% of people are drinking grog they didn't buy. Uh, but we've got to get on top of it, guys. Uh, alcohol can be the private sin that, um, and then you find more and more and more it creeps up. And to say in brief, I'm from a family of alcoholics that doesn't need to be, don't, don't need to talk about that to anyone, but that's a fact. And I realised that in myself. I haven't had a drink for 14 years. Um, now, wait a minute. 2006. Uh, yeah, 14 years. Except when I go to the Lord's Supper. Um, and I must confess, I'm quietly disappointed when at the Lord's Supper they just have grape juice. But anyway, that's... Uh, so there's ways to get on top of this. Beware of it. And it can be done, you know, you end up privately because it makes all that stress go away. Uh, the second one that is a great temptation for, uh, uh, but well, I'll say people in ministry. I understand uh, it's more of a growing problem for women as well, but for men particularly, that's pornography. Uh, so the stats say that Pornhub, the world's biggest porn site, traffic from Australia um, for men is up 34%. Uh, pornography is now, what's the word, ubiquitous, I think is the word. Uh, ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Now, I used to think, Nelson, uh, if you, so many men, like if you've got tempt, if you're tempted by this, it basically means uh, you're male and you have a pulse. Um, I used to think it was the equivalent of emotional junk food. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's much more powerful. Um, it, it's actually a dopamine hit, and it lights up the the pleasure centers in your brain. Uh, like very few things will do, and that makes it addictive. Uh, if you, and not only that, because it blows that up, it stops them registering properly at other things, and it will turn the whole world grey for you eventually. Uh, if you want to read some really troubling stuff, "Man Disconnected" by Philip Zimbardo, not a Christian, but he outlines what extended pornography use actually does to your brain. Uh, it's addictive. It's poison. It'll for men, it'll destroy your relationship with your wife. It'll destroy your spiritual life. I mean, I uh, just this morning, okay, I, I've had my quiet time in 1 Peter chapter 2, and I read this, 1 Peter 2.11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Por pornography rots our souls, uh, and yet it's it's the... It's the sugar hit, the dopamine hit when the emotional tank is empty. Now, guys, you're all smart enough to know if you if this is a problem or alcohol is a problem, you've got to reach out and and ask ask for some help. If you're at college, you're surrounded by people who can help you. OK, um, on the pornography thing, I'm tempted by it. Um, I'm 61 and I'm still tempted by it. Uh, so I've got covenant eyes on every on every screen that I have access to. I've got the internet locked out on the smart TV, all, all sorts of stuff. Um, the danger is when the emotional tank is empty. Uh, so reach out, ask for some help if you need help. 
uh, accountability groups are good and they work for every sin except lying. You can think about that. All right, I've got two minutes. So that's a whole lot of negative disciplines, but the positive disciplines, uh, things like Bible reading and time for uh, Bible reading and prayer, uh, be disciplined in how you use all that time that you've got. How, how will you be disciplined in making the most as you serve the Lord Jesus? Time with your family, uh, if you're married, time with your husband uh, or your wife. Uh, if, you're, um, if you've got kids, discipline in time with your kids <laughs> and time without your kids as well. And then routine, exercise, etc. And the more positive disciplines you've got, uh, the more uh, the negative ones will be less of a problem, shall I say. But more than that, let me read you what David Axe said again. It's interesting. I think I, I think I read somewhere this man's a secular Jew. But listen to what he, he said. He's not a Christian, but he said this. What matters most when it comes to self-control isn't so much willpower as vision. The ability to see the future so that the long run consequences of our short run choices are vividly clear. Self-control is all about seeing beyond the moment about deferring gratification. Seriously, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says. We seize the prize and so we can be disciplined. I'll read you uh, from the New American Standard Bible. Still the go to about accuracy, I think. Anyway, uh, he says in this 1 Corinthians 9, 25, he says and everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Our prize is imperishable and worth the discipline. That's my 18 minutes.